It's an old song. It was written in 1873. It was a song that my dad's mother, being a Scot, would often break into and sing the chorus of. The first verse of the song says, Standing by a purpose true, heeding God's command, honor them, the faithful few, and hail to Daniel's band. But it's the challenge of the course that I think needs to be heard. And it was this course that was the source of the title for the song and for this sermon series, by the way. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm. And dare to make it known. As dawn broke over the English Channel, June the 6th of 1944, German troops were surprised to see a fleet of the Allied ships off the course of Normandy, France. But the Germans weren't unprepared. For years, Hitler had feared that the Allies would invade Europe's western coast, and so he had ordered the construction of what was known as the Atlantic Wall. A series of fortifications, mines, pillboxes, tank traps, and amphibious vehicle traps that stretched for over 3,200 miles. That formidable Atlantic wall wasn't the only obstacle, though, that the soldiers would meet that day. The seas were rough. And if you read the stories from history, you hear that they had suffered seasickness as they crossed the English Channel. And once they reached their destination, they knew they weren't going to disembark on docks. There weren't any. The landing craft were sitting ducks. And so into the cold water they went to swim to shore. Many of the troops lost their lives before they even set foot on the beach. And after reaching the beach... The Allied troops had to cross open ground, dodging those traps and the heavy fire to reach the enemy positions high up on the steep embankment. Those who survived often had to take cover behind whatever they could find. But despite those obstacles, the Allied troops managed to secure a foothold on the beaches and slowly began pushing inland. Why? Because they dared to have a purpose firm and they dared to make it known. The operation was called D-Day. And that day actually marked the beginning of the end of World War II in Europe. Daniel 6 that is before us today which contains probably the best known story of the book of Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel 6 marks the beginning of the end of not only the stories of Daniel, but also the end of the 70-year exile. 
Now the book of Daniel is actually divided into two major sections. And I'm not talking about the Hebrew section and the Aramaic section. I already shared that with you, how chapter 2 verse 4 to the end of chapter 7 are in Aramaic, whereas chapter 1 and chapters 8 to 12 are in Hebrew. No. In terms of chronology, the book divides at the conclusion of chapter 6. And though in our English Bibles, the book is often, most often included in the prophets, there are a few rare exceptions. In the Hebrew Bible, it's actually among the writings. And examined as a part of the Hebrew Bible writings, in that context, the first half of the book, the stories of chapters 1 to 6, illustrate the nature and the blessings of a life lived in faithfulness to God's covenant under some very inhospitable conditions. Whereas, and, and, and it's basically biographical in nature, whereas in the second half of the book, we're going to see that it contains visions. And the story moves back some in time. Now, that Aramaic section, those who believe that chapters 2 to 7 contain the heart of the book, they do that because they see chapter 1 basically as an explanatory chapter and chapters 8 to 12 expanding on how that deals with the world situation. The danger of talking with my hands. The value in not sitting too close. Now, there have been those critics who have said, well, it's obviously two different books brought together. Well, I think this right here proves that it's not. I think this right here proves that even though there is this Aramaic section in the center, it supersedes the chronological division of the stories and the visions, tying it all together as a unity in terms of its literary structure. And the second half of the book that we're going to move into starting next week is basically, the, the, it's a big word, but it doesn't really mean anything big. You heard of the word apocalyptic? It simply means something that reveals. The book of Revelation is called the apocalypse because that word means reveals, revelation. And those visions will reveal the conflicts in which God's covenant people are going to be engaged and yet divinely kept. Now, I actually want to begin this morning with the conclusion. I want to begin with what's called the doxology of Daniel. And it's verses 25 down to 28. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. 
I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Now notice he doesn't identify it as his own God also. And history records that there's serious questions as to whether or not he really ever accepted Daniel's God as his own God. But people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues, he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Daniel's deliverance was celebrated in this decree of the king. And, and many believe it to have been written under Daniel's own direction. And in the context of a doxology, the decree does affirm that Daniel's God is living and therefore actively engaged in the affairs of the world. Do we really believe that? I think there are two extremes that happen. And both of those are not biblical. One is the extreme that God doesn't have anything to do with the world. It's a theistic view. He set things in motion and he's up there and he's just waiting for it all to come to an end. The other is the extreme opposite that God is micromanaging everything. And you'll hear people say, well, you know, it must have been God's will that he died. Who does Jesus say is the ruler of this world? Not once, not twice, but three times. Who does Jesus say is the ruler of this world? Satan, the deceiver. It's a lot easier for me to understand people getting really sick and dying because of the evils of Satan than it is to ever conceive of that as being a part of God's will. Or what kind of a God would it be that takes somebody from their family and their loved ones because he needed another angel in heaven? You ever heard somebody say that? Not biblical. That's why we need to be students of His Word. Now this decree of Darius is in fact more positive than the one that was issued by Nebuchadnezzar at the close of chapter 3. But it still isn't quite there. Because it's obvious that, that it's a He's all lauded as the deliverer, the wonder worker, the, the one who delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. That's an interesting perspective from one who had worshipped idols. But how do we get from that perspective? How do we get to that perspective? How is Daniel, how is it that Daniel 
once again is distinguished, though we're told in the opening verses he had been distinguished, and in between, he's thrown in the lion's den. You see, sometimes our familiarity with a story causes us to lose a lot of what the impact of the story is all about. Daniel 6 is not about Daniel getting saved from lions. Daniel 6 is about how God is concerned about us living obediently, faithfully, regardless of whether it means being thrown into a den of lions. Daniel 6 is about my friend in India who we asked for our prayers being able to stand firm and true to the end when he's watching his children and his churches and his women being destroyed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And here's the sick thing. Did a single one of you hear anything about that on our news media? Not. And I don't think you will. So, so what is it about this story of Daniel and the lion's den? Well, look at how verses, the first verses begin. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 centuries. By the way, don't get hung up on the Darius and Cyrus thing. Darius was a Mede. Cyrus was a Persian. Cyrus was the big guy. Darius was put in charge of Babylon. It was the Medo-Persian Empire at that time. They're not the same person. As you'll read, I know, in some commentaries. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was to be one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they couldn't find any ground for the complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. You see... He tells us in verse 4 he was distinguished. And I'm going to build on that because I think there's three more things to help you remember that all start with the letter D that this story brings out. You see, in obedience to the law of the land, Daniel was impeccable. He showed up for work on time. He did the job that was expected of him. He didn't steal pencils. He was impeccable. And that's where the tension lies. 
Because if his piety conflicted with the law of the state, then an accusation could arise. But they couldn't find any. And so it was that because he was distinguished, he was also despised. Now, in his in the first chapter, I shared with you that he was probably a young teen when he was taken into captivity. Now, just six chapters later, we've covered about 80 years. He's in his 80s. Late 70s, early 80s. Sometimes we have this picture of a young guy being thrown into a den of lions. No, this is an old man. Sorry, Dwayne. <laughs> and once again he has demonstrated the outstanding nature of his God-given wisdom but his promotion aroused envy among his colleagues and his subordinates and so his colleagues were unable to find any ground of complaint so because he was disciplined His colleagues came to hate him. But also because they, he was disciplined, they knew that their only hope lay in employing Daniel's well-known spiritual strength as a political weakness, knowing that he would obey God rather than men. So, verse 6, Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. You see how they started? They started with a lie. Do you think Daniel was at that meeting and agreed? It says all the high officials. Daniel was not one of the only one of the high officials. He's one of the top three, and the king was thinking about making him the top dude. All. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. I think he got caught up in the idea of them praying to him. Not just not praying to others. But you know what? Our world today is no different. People wouldn't have a problem with Christianity if we didn't proclaim that Jesus is the way the truth and the life and that no one comes to the Father except by Him. It's the inclusive thing that bothers the world. A survey was done of evangelical Christians. Conservative evangelical Christians. And over 40% of the evangelical Christians believed that there would be people saved other than those who believed in Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. 
And I hear people all the time who talk about going to heaven when they die or their loved one going to heaven when they die. And I'm talking about conservative Christian people. But they're talking about someone who had nothing to do with Christ and His bride, the church, when they were living on earth. See, they knew that their only hope was to go against Daniel's strength, his belief. And the idea of this law not being revocable, that's not due to Scripture. Remember when we looked at the story of Esther? In Esther 8.8, Mordecai, her uncle, is reminded but you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and sealed it with the king's ring for an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. And this is what happens in Daniel. For a second time, let me hurry on. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Listen to me. Archaeology has shown that that wasn't a big picture window that everybody could stand outside and see him praying. He didn't go because of the decree. He went in spite of the decree. The windows in the home then were high and they were small so that light could get in, but robbers and thieves couldn't. These people had to sneak in to find him doing what he was doing. And they came by agreement. They wouldn't come by themselves. People don't do it that way, do they? Well, you go before the king. No, no, I'm not going before the king. You go before the king. Well, no, I'll go if you go. And so a little group of them go. A little group of them go to find Daniel. And then when they go back to the king, notice they said, after reminding the king of the decree that he had written, I don't know, maybe it was one of those days before where they were just throwing decree after decree in front of him he was signing. I doubt it, but they remind him of the decree Verse 13, then they answered and said before the king, uh, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah. What? No. Daniel was his top man. That wording is on purpose. They're trying to make it look like Daniel is a part of some kind of political conspiracy against the king. They went because he was disciplined, but because he was disciplined, he was also disciplined. Two different uses of the same word. Or you could use the word dumped, because what we find in the story is that when the king realized there was no way that he could change the situation, they dumped him literally into the lion's den, which is another omen against our society. 
you realize that societies that are evil think more highly of animals than they do humans? Isn't it strange that you can abort human fetuses but don't get caught aborting an animal fetus? I asked the person who was the head of the Department of Conservation down in southern Crawford County, Indiana. I said, let me ask you a question, because he was admiring my black lab who was pregnant. I said, let me ask you a question, son, if I get, got you here. When she starts to deliver, if I take my drill and drill the babies, the, the little pups' heads, and suck their brains out before they're delivered, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to rescue in a heartbeat. I said, you know, I just described to you what's known as partial birth abortion. You went back and researched it and became a strong advocate of getting rid of that in the southern Indiana area. We, we treat our animals better. They had a ramp for the animals, but they had a hole that they dumped the people in. So the king felt he had no choice. And it bothered him. When Nebuchadnezzar heard that Daniel had not worshipped the idol, what had, what he did? He got angry. Furious. When Darius hears, verse 14, he was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. He couldn't sleep. He couldn't eat. In fact, nobody was eating that time. He wasn't eating. Daniel wasn't eating. And the lions weren't eating. And first thing in the morning, verse 8 19, at the break of the day, he rose and went with haste to the den of lions and he came near to the den where Daniel was and he cried out in a tone of anguish, Oh Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? And I can't imagine the shock on his face when the voice comes out of the lion's den, O oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they've not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O oh, king. I have done no harm. See, he was delivered. He was delivered. Psalm 34 verse 7 reads, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and He delivers them. Hebrews 11, 32-34 reads, and, and what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who shut, who, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword 
whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. And Daniel was lifted out of the den. But those who had falsely accused him were thrown into the den. And the lions did not eat Daniel because they weren't hungry. Because it says they devoured the ones who were thrown in. See, in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 8, says the righteous man is rescued from trouble and it comes on the wicked instead. Proverbs 28.10, He who leads the upright along an evil path will fall into his own trap, but the blameless will receive a good inheritance. So what can we learn from this story? See, it's not a story about a man being saved from lions. It's a story about the importance of faithfulness in spite of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fiery furnace. What did they say? Hey, our God can deliver us, but if He chooses not to deliver us, we're still not going to do what you say, okay? Because it's not what our God has commanded. And, and here's the challenge. The challenge is to see that our deliverance might come from the lions, but you know what? Our deliverance might come by means of lions. I'll bet you some of those Christians in India we're praying for God to allow them to die in the midst of that instead of going on through the horrendous things that were being done. Death is not our worst enemy. There are many things worse than death. And one thing that's definitely worse than death, scripturally speaking, is not reaching the goal. Paul said, I press on toward the mark, forgetting what's behind. If when I die, I have not ended well and been found faithful, my running has been in vain. My friend Jim Small, some of you met him and knew him, manager at the camp for several years, Minister O'Narkin found out when it was too late that he had cancer. It had already metastasized through his body. Jim said to me one day, How can I not teach people whom I have been teaching all along how to live by faith? if I don't also teach them by word and example how to die by faith. Let's pray that we will dare to be a danger and will stay strong and true to the end. Let's pray.